I'm Judge Dredd, and I'm here to say. <laughs> Rapping in Mega City 1 is a bad way. <laughs> oh, God, we've just found our, our call to open. <laughs> no, Graham, no. No. That's wrong. Oh, God, I hate I hate it that you have editing power sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I'm Judge Dredd, and I'm here to say. Damn it, that's going to be stuck in my head for days now. Uh, you're, you're, you keep doing it. You're just giving me more to put in. I know. I'm, I'm hoping you'll get bored of it at some point and just leave it all out. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Drock. This is the 13th episode of Drock, the podcast where uh, myself, Graham McMillan, and my co-host... The lovely Jeff Lester. Hello. We read through the complete case files of Judge Dredd, one of Mega City One's finest lawmen. I think you'll all agree. Uh, like I said, this is episode 13. We're doing the complete case files, volume 12, which is 2008 progs 571 through 618, or 1988 through 1989 outputs. Starting this volume and, and moving forward, the case files actually get shorter. The mm-hmm. next case file is significantly shorter than this one, I should say, because the books go color midway right. through this. Yeah. And for some reason, that shrinks the page count. Maybe because they're trying to keep the price of the, the collections the same. Sort of what I'm assuming, yeah. Uh, but like this volume is like 330 odd pages right. versus like 400 they've been previously. And That's starting right. its volume, they're like 200, between like 260 and 280. Good Lord. So they really shrink. They really get shorter. Right. Um, but yeah, this is this is the this is a volume of transition, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wait, I should say that uh, we are coming from Alice Eve Block. Oh, nice. Time. Passing live from Alice Eve Block, which is a truly tenuous connection to what we are talking about. But those who get it will get it, and that's the reason we do this. <laughs> For sure, Graham. For sure. Jeff, like I said, uh, volume of transition. Volume of transition insofar as, like I said, it turns into full-color artwork midway through the book. Yep. But also the Wagner and Grant writing uh, team splits up. Yes. And honestly, I think Dread becomes a significantly different strip in this volume. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And I, I think the way it treats Dread like, is, is noticeably different in yeah. this volume. And I'm wondering if I'm alone in that. Well... Uh, you know, I I have to say, Dread is a bit of a blob of mercury uh, for me. Um, one thing that I did feel that was uh, interesting is that I feel like Mega City One is sort of treated differently. I guess you know. Okay. Um, so yeah, if nothing else, maybe Dread's, Dread's relationship in Mega City 1, of course, have changed, particularly over the last couple of volumes with the, the, essentially the, the fascism of the, of the judges being quite apparent. Um, but also for whatever reason at that, I feel like at that point, the, um, how do I put it? Like, I, I just feel like we've moved to a different realm from the earlier writing where the you sort of felt, you know, it, it, 
I guess I guess the real cheap way would would say we've sort of moved from Will Eisner to Will Elder, you know, like everything is much more um, somehow it's even more cartoony, I suppose. And what's weird is I feel that there's it's a little bit of um, Wagner playing a shell game like he will put something forward, like something like the, this volume opens with the three-part, the Hitman story, which following, you know, is a is a direct follow-up to the events of Oz from the last volume and is in its way um, emotionally devastating. And then yeah. the rest of the stuff very rapidly turns into... There's a lot, a lot, a lot of slapstick in this volume, even even by the previous standards of dread. The fact that you follow the hitman with simp about the house, um, I think really kind of which is which is almost like an easy story, you know, but ridiculous. Like it's <laughs> like there's so many things that are here that are done that are weirdly just. You know, I love the two part, for example, the night at the circus, when I call it night at the opera, which are very similar one part stories that are that's just havoc and slapstick, um, but also at the same time, incredibly dark. And the weird part is, I feel that underneath it, even as the even as all this, as everything sort of feels, and perhaps this is because of the introduction of color, literally feels more garish. Um, yeah. The the darker undercurrents are are much darker in this volume. Yes, yes. It's funny you you talk about like it being more cartoonish when the Wagner and Grant split up, and and as I I said, you know. In the, in the quote unquote pre credit bit, I think Wagner and Grant split up much earlier than the credit box says. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually think they split up as early as the first three in this volume. I think Hitman is written by Wagner. Oh, explicitly yeah. in solo. Yeah, yeah, I um, thought so as well. Despite huh. it, it said it's credits to Wagner and Grant. Right. But Grant's stories seem much more cartoonish than Wagner's mm. and seem much lighter in tone and honestly seem much more old fashioned. Mm. Because Wagner seems to have immediately a new direction for Dread. Mm -hmm. and, and a direction for Dread that is um, – it feels organic to me because, again, I know where the strip goes. Right. But feels like it comes on so suddenly that I'm wondering if you found it to be uh, kind of shocking. I did. Which is Hitman. Yeah. I, I think Hitman is a great – three-parter oh i absolutely. really really like it it's honestly my favorite story in the in the strip in mm -hmm. the volume mm -hmm. but not only does it bring in dread has doubts like dread yes. dread did shoot chopper because like and it was intentional mm -hmm. like he, he he was holding himself back but it introduces a theme that goes all the way through this volume which is dread is an old man mm. and dread is is maybe not on the way out but dread is perceived by his peers mm-hmm to be old, and mm -hmm. uh, I mean, explicitly said in the very last story in this in the volume, uh, you know, uh, you know the Barry Moore story. Yeah, like Red seen as old fashioned. Yes, we're we're jumping ahead slightly to the bloodline, which is, yeah. you know, an incredibly important story considering what's going to come. Yeah, but but the entire thread of bloodline is 
the other judges and the chief judge are basically preparing Dredge replacement. Yeah. Because he's getting old mm-hmm. and, you know, judges don't get to grow old. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. You know, but the, all the way through this, starting in Hitman, Dredd's getting older. Yeah. Dredd has been around for long enough that he's considered old. Yeah. And for, what comes with that is Dredd is openly questioning slash contradicting the system. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a strip in here where uh, Dredd outright says that he thinks that the what the city has come up with is too harsh. Mm. You know, which, you know, when would that ever have happened? Right, right. You know, but but there it is. It's in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's actually, you know, I, my job is to carry it out, but I think that's, the sentencing is too harsh, which is just, you know, even even in the previous volume, mm-hmm. that would be insane. Right. They said that it's in it's a uh, it's in the second part of Curse of the Spider Woman. Uh, the committee yes. does seem harsh. Unfortunately, I don't make the decisions; I only carry them out. Right. Well, like, but... that, that's I mean, and also recurring through this thing is dread being aware of other people's feelings, mm. which is again very uh, out of character, or very. I mean, maybe not out. Is it out of character again? Because for me, I'm like, well, no, it, it, he is aware of other people's feelings in what follows. And, and like my, my sense of where he goes is ruining my sense of like, is this out of character for where he is at this point or not? Like, So for you, when Dredd is saying things like the community room does seem harsh or he's he's uh, the Miss Marple story, for example. Right. He he holds back mm-hmm. that, that the, the doctor was, you know was carrying out the, the, you know, was doing his job. Mm-hmm. He wants her to live out her remaining days in peace. Right. Like, that's a kindness from Dredd. Yeah. Like, if, uh, is that out of character, or is that in keeping with who you think Dredd is? Well, you know, it, it's a, that's a good question, because I would, I would say that um, if you want to be super generous or if someone's a better, smarter, sharper reader than me, part of me wonders if in Wagner's case, in this volume, what you see is it opens with Dread literally expressing doubts about him uh, realizing that he fell short and and didn't pull the trigger and 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 what i think is interesting what i would like to suggest is there's a case to be made that wagner it, with a very sort of inscrutable poker face plays dread the way that you would in in a larger continuity at least psychologically after he's been challenged which is he alternates between double downing on being like the meanest son of a bitch judge around because some of these stories there's also stories where dread is just downright cruel and part of that is done in part for as a joke in, in a way but i also wonder if there's a little bit where he's like okay i'm really recommitting myself and then there's more of his feelings kind of leaking out around the way i think What's weird to me is I feel early 
Judge Dredd, the first three or four volumes, the something like the Miss Marple story, I think fits in very well with that, right down to Dredd being sort of, you know, kind of like what you were saying, that Dredd was, you know, had perfect judgment in the early volumes. That was kind of the best thing that he had going for him. It wasn't just, it wasn't the judges per se. Dread is more or less infallible and knows when sort of when to show mercy and when not to, you know? And I feel like here you see how, um, I just don't feel that that's the case here. What I see is there are scenes like, night at the circus where you you literally have him find the fire eater for being a fire breather you know which is funny but also that whole night at the circus is like clearly like the judges are the villains and dread is super villainous the whole circus more or less basically in you know however five pages of really great Chris Weston art more or less gets completely shut down and it ends up with a you know literally a crying clown on the first page being last page being admonished by dread you know but then you also do have stuff like curse of the spider woman you know and you've got stuff that sort of splits the difference where um you know skeet and the wrecking crew is is an incredibly sympathetic story of a trucker who loses his closest friend and and at the end of it you know he's you know the trucker's like yeah i sure gave rosie a hell of a send-off or i sure buried her in style and dread said something like yes and you too you know and it's just not it's it's easy to see dread as being a dude in conflict in this volume if you Mm -hmm. think about it as long as it's as long as you're you're trying sorry yeah yeah yeah. no exactly as long as you're willing to be subtextual to the point yes of of practically writing fanfic about it yes if you were if you were looking for how does dread as a person that exists make sense yes how do i explain away the contradictions right but again I, I think you're right, uh, and I think there is a massive, um, a massive swing in the portrayals of dread here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I will again say that I think the broader dreads come more from Grant than Wagner. Now, is uh, it, is it just, this volume's not all Wagner? Then no, I, I have no. not been paying it. I, it's funny because I wasn't at a certain point. I'm like, oh, it's just all Wagner. So, no, so uh, things like the. Uh, the story where the the gods give the guy power, like power to do whatever he wants, whatever he says goes, right? And you know, he turns dread into like a nice person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Grant. Uh... Uh, I'm trying to think of the the other. There's oh, there's a uh, a story in there that's that's uh, yeah, the brainstem man is Grant as well. Mm, interesting. Again, okay, very old school dread to me. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, very much so. Feels yeah. like he came from like you know five years earlier, right? Right. You know, so so for me, the the broader stories are Grant, and mm-hmm. I think I'm being a little bit unfair in saying that. I because you're right, there is a lot of um sort of retreating to what is safe dread at points, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but you also get things like full mental jacket, right? Which don't get me wrong, the is very broad for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, very dramatically broad 
for I think it's five chapters and for maybe the first three chapters. Yeah. But ultimately ends up being a tragedy. Oh yeah. It ends up being a tragedy where maybe for the first time a character explicitly says on panel this city is doomed is is created to doom us. Mm. Like we we can't like this city creates losers. This city creates people mm-hmm. who 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 could not escape. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the phrase? It's the city, you know, pressing in on us all the time, trapping us like rats in a cage, driving us crazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the first time, actually, textually, anyone in Dread has said, this city fucks us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's... Uh, yeah, there's... But, but there's like, yeah. previously to that, like in the first the early chapters, it's a, a ridiculously broad story. You know, it's, yeah. it's the, you know... Uh, West Side Story again on, on yes. done, done Dread. Mm-hmm. But then it's the fact that at the end, like in the second, I think it's the end of the third part, you basically get like the thug child, like, and it's just one panel, and he's basically like, why can't my mother love me? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't she see I'm, I'm trying to do what's best for the family? And then it ends with her killing him. And we, it, it, which is a great sequence. That sequence is wonderful because it's not just that she shoots him she shoots him like five times yes it's really wonderful and it's and it again to me that's that weird thing with you know that we used to talk about with wagner and grant where it's like whatever was on the tv that night you know full mental jacket despite you know riffing on a kubrick title is it's a juvenile delinquent movie it could be straight out of you know, James Dean or, or the wild one or something. And when, by the time you get to that ending, which feels to me very of a piece with those sorts of films, um, it, it has genuine heft to it. And, and that is the kind of thing that I think I feel in this volume is even as Wagner and Grant split and they more or less retreat in some ways to to safer spaces they're they're also i feel like i feel like particularly with wagner and the thing is the thing that's hilarious is i'm looking at this i'm like oh shit i wasn't even looking at the i just at a certain point assumed it was all wagner and i was like wow he really seemed almost schizophrenic in tone which is funny because i do feel that wagner and grant at now are they're they're they are sort of in going their separate ways. Like you say, the Grant, Grant stuff is broader, but Grant stuff also has a lot of, um, uh, for lack of a, like, I don't know, like more narrative chutzpah in some, pl- in some parts, in some cases, you know, like I'm trying to think of like that, w- the weird narration. And of course I'm going to get everything wrong, but the weird narration of that <laughs> Alan Davis bat story, you know, which is probably Wagner, not Grant. I think it is Wagner. I yeah. hate to tell you. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm totally fucked on this. Because um, I'm trying to find it as I'm scrolling through. But like, it's you know, I, I said that Wagner, you know, does uh, Grant does the, the broader things. Like the Twister four-parter, which don't get me wrong, I fucking love. It's yeah. literally an extended Wizard of Oz joke. And that's oh, yeah. all Wagner. Yeah. It's a total goof. You you look at Judge Dredd. Batmucker is Wagner. Yeah. Yeah. 
Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's just, it's just all over the map to me, but I do feel that what I was going to say is it felt like Wagner was doing more experimentation, more, more radical for him, uh, experimentations in voice and tone in these volumes. Cause something like Batmugger is a really, you've, you've had stories told from the bad guy's point of view or whatever, but it's it's very much an attempt to make the character sound different or and is this yeah this is fucking alan grant holy shit i am going to be a complete and utter mess for this episode grant go for it yeah i'm really looking forward to it but um but yeah you know curse of the spider woman is you know is tragic it's got this campy vampy title and the the two parts of it before Revenge of the Spider Woman comes along are just frankly you know Kafka esque body horror you know there's there's no there's nothing goofy about it it's like he walked out of the movie and was like wow I really thought it was going to be something a little like this you know and uh, it, I, it it's just such a schizophrenic volume and it makes sense in a way that 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 Wagner and Grant have split to add to that. But I do think that both of them sort of being unshackled for each other, all the pieces feel a little more wild and woolly. And like you said, the brainstem man, which is, which is Grant and is basically yet another, I mean, it practically feels like a rewrite of that last old Pat Mills dread story where he basically also fights a lizard dude on like a rooftop you know, and it's overwrought. Like it just all feels um, that that has no conclusive ending. It's just there's a lot of this stuff where you're just like, what are these guys doing? Are they are they moving the ball forward or are they just, you know, I, I feel I feel it, like it feels very much like a volume that is playing for time. Yeah. You know, I think I think yeah. Wagner clearly has a. a has a plan and mm-hmm. it's a plan that maybe only coalesces later mm-hmm. um but I, I and part of this again is informed by i know where the, the book's going in the next like couple of volumes of this right um but i think as i said like wagner starts talking about dread being more uncertain about the the absolute totality of the law mm-hmm. and also older and being viewed as older by everyone else right Right, so so dread starts to become instead of the shining example, he starts to become an oddity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you do get some shining example stuff in here. You know, dread is the best cop, yada yada. But you also, by seeing something like uh, Hitman, ex- like explicitly saying that dread stopped himself from shooting Chopper because he respected him, mm-hmm. and seeing the dreads. Dread has feelings, for a better way of putting it, and they impact the way of he carries out the law. When you get to something like Twister, which again is a four-part goof, yeah. it's a four-part like twist, no pun intended, on Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. used to create the fact that the story is going full color. Yeah, you know, and it's a fun joke. Yeah, but you also get the start of that. Jug McKenzie shows back up, and you realize that Dredd just fucking doesn't like the guy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's fun. It's fun to see the Dredd's basically like, whatever this fucker will do, 
Yeah. That I can get him into Mega City 1 so I can arrest him. Mm-hmm. To the point where, like, Jug gets almost kidnapped. Mm-hmm. Dre rescues him. He's in a bad shape. But Dre's like, I can take him to fucking hospital in Mega City 1 and I fucking got him. Yep. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. You know? So you get so you get this sort of thing, but at the same time, you also have the uncertainty of the split. And so you do get both Wagner and, to a greater extent, I think, Grant, retreating to more comfortable areas. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and in some cases, like you said, with Brainstem Man, like, that's almost a rewrite of an earlier story. Like, Our Man in Hondo, which is multiple chapters, basically ends with a rewrite of the Stan Lee story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and honestly, features the same terrible, terrible racism. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. But, you know, you do, you, you get a certain level of retread. Mm-hmm. You you get a certain level of the volume in general, like you said, having a, well, they've clearly, you know, Curse of Spider-Woman. Well, Wagner's just clearly been to see the Jeff Goldblum Fly movie. Right, right. You know? Right. And so he's doing that instead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's, there is a, a bunch of that in yeah. there. Well, I, I also think that there's little bits of, again, I feel like, uh, for me, I feel like Wagner is in some ways more experimental uh, here, but even as they're playing things more safe, and one one thing that I do think in this volume is in part perhaps because between PJ maybe, our man in Hondo, um, Crazy Barry and Little Mo and the Brainstem Man, you know, there's like four separate stories that are kind of, oh, you know, this hasn't happened yet, but keep an eye open soon, you know? And it's sort of, it. it I definitely think that perhaps one of the aftershocks of the Wagner Grant split over whether or not to kill Chopper at the end of Oz is Wagner certainly seems as if he is thinking of the long game. Like he is thinking like, I, we should have characters that we can introduce that will come back and not, not in a, Oh, Taylor kind of way, you know, and, and not in the, almost like what Stanley ended up not being, you know, but like the, the idea of like, yeah, PJ maybe is this character that, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird that both he, he and crazy Barry are two characters that more or less look like they've gotten away in part because they're like clearly insane like there's something about their particular brand of insanity that the judges more or less can't track, you know. Um, yeah. Well, and, I'd I'd uh, yeah. I'd argue that PJ maybe gets away because he's insane. Yes. Like 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 Barry does. Yes. One hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the entire point, right? I think the entire point of that story, outside of the idea that like there is this judge who is. Who is bad? Because well, it is like it's yeah. such a stereotypical bad judge story that like the dirty cop ends up going to South America, yeah, right. because laws are lax there, you right. know, right? Um, but the, I think the the point beyond that is the justice system is not built to deal with mental illness, right? <laughs> you know, like they just didn't 
they weren't looking for this. They didn't consider this at all. Mm-hmm. I think the PJ maybe story is, and I said this when he appeared last time in, la- in the last volume. Right. I think the point there is he gets away with it because everyone underestimates him because of his age. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and, and ultimately because he's also, I don't know if smart is the right way of putting it, but he's understated and quiet in his crimes. Oh, yeah. That the combination of the two means that Dread clearly knows what's up. Like, Dread works it out yeah. in this the second story. Mm-hmm. But no one believes him because they're like, why would a 14-year-old kid be doing this? Right. That doesn't make sense. Right. And so Dread himself is like, oh, okay, right, fine. Right. But but I don't think I don't think PG maybe is about mental illness. And you know, uh Crazy Barry Little Mo definitely is. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I, I guess what I'm saying, and admittedly, I I think one of the nice things about doing this podcast in the year twenty twenty is I do think there's a certain awareness for me of saying uh the this is the, the 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 mental illness of comic books. This doesn't have anything to do. Neither of those cases are, you know, genuine mental illness. Like we could have a discussion about genuine mental illness and how, you know, the judges, much like the police today, are not equipped or trained to oh, yeah. deal with that. Yeah. But and, and for that matter, you know, if you want to have a conversation about genuine mental illness in Mega City One, this story to deal with in this volume is full mental jacket. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, hmm. You think? Yeah. Hmm. I I think if you look at the mother. Mm. In... Interesting. That's but funny. but yeah. I, I I out of all of them, I mean, Crazy Barry and Little Mo. It's in the name, Jeff. Yes. You know, no, like, no, 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 no. Exactly. Uh, but but it's again. It's it's um. It's, it's a very. A broad version of, of a mental illness, it's, right? It's, 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 it's literally there's a blue demon living inside his head exactly. because he's schizophrenic. It, it's it's pop genre mental illness. It, you Especially know, it's, with, the, it's the, with the twist ending where right. it's like it's because Mo was the name of his little brother killed when he was a kid. Exactly. It's, it's sort of like, you know, quasi-offensive called psychology. Right. No, and but I mean all of it is in in that sense. It's it's the it's the quote unquote mental illness of psycho and Hannibal Lecter and serial killers. And it's not, it's not real mental illness, you know? And, and I just, a, I want to clarify this because this is the year 2020 and it's sort of, it would be the same way if we were trying to talk about our man and Hondo and making it sound like we were actually trying to make a point about, you know, Japanese Western relations, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it doesn't have, it doesn't really have any real bearing in reality. Yeah. yeah. Just as, as we have to forgive quote unquote or excuse quote unquote, right. the, you know, frankly appalling attitudes towards race. Yes. It dreads. We also have to be like, you know, when we're talking about mental illness and dread, yeah. we're talking about, you know, People who basically don't really know what they're talking about in 1989. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I just, I want to make sure that we're sort of, uh, that people are aware. I guess I just want to make it clear for myself, if nothing else. We're we're talking in their shorthand, not real shorthand. And so I really don't want people sitting here being like, what the fuck are you guys saying? So, so mega city what it, what i think is interesting slash weird is the way in which uh this volume has a lot of 
irrationality to it. You know, like there's very much there's times where dread is like dread and the judges are the forces of order and therefore really can't understand true chaos or can't 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 get their fingers around it quickly enough. They're always two steps behind instead of one step ahead when yeah. it comes to the pure chaos of somebody like PJ Mary, PJ, PJ, maybe or crazy Barry. But the weird part is Wagner and Grant both have such a love of the unexpected or the goof or the lark that there's a lot of, there's just a lot of pure chaos in here anyway. And so it volume 12, I think in its way really reminds me of a, uh, of the album, the, the seventies rock concept album by the band that has gotten just a little too big and has done a little too much drugs, you know, like it's, it's big it's excessive. There's parts that are brilliant, but it also feels a little out of control and unfocused mm -hmm. and, and, and unclear. Also, uh, yes. And also a little bit um, repetitive. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah. You know, sure. a little bit of, of doing the, doing what they think the fans want. Right. Or, or, you know, trying to, to repeat a trick. Mm -hmm. That it that has previously been successful, right, right, yeah. You know, and and because there is there there is a lot of uh, we've come to expect, and I think it 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 peaks and and it doesn't it, the valley's not fair, but but there are peaks of volumes where we're like shit. Every single story in this was was amazing. Yeah, right. And this isn't one of those volumes. There there's a lot of uh you know of broads or or clawing or just like mm -hmm. unsuccessful stories mm -hmm. and again you know sorry alan grant a lot of them the alan grant ones like the one about sugar running the one about the tiger right the the you know the old folk are, are ninjas one yes yeah like all of those are the alan, are alan grant stories yes you know <laughs> they didn't work for me as well as other ones in this volume. And I think part of it is because they feel like they could have run like three or four years earlier. Yes. And I, I expect more complexity from Dread. I expect the complexity of, you know, a bloodline, mm -hmm. you know, of a hitman mm -hmm. where there is an idea of the characters and the world are more complex. Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time, in this volume, you do get Bloodline, you do get Hitman, right? You do get Curse of the Spider Woman for that sense, yeah. You know, and there, there's there's something that works there, you know, mm -hmm. like there, there just is, and there, there's a feeling of not only the strip evolving but the character evolving in ways that is is very exciting to me. I think th I agree. I agree with you, but the one thing that really strikes me about Dread is it's very different from the way that I think of character evolution. You know, I, it, it 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 genuinely does feel more like a genuine evolution to me in the sense of 
there's lots of weird little mini genetic dead ends or there's sort of, uh, you know, one or two generations where it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. I mean, to me, I the difference between the two, you know, the gods, the tall tale slash myth of the gods who decide to mess with Mega City One and yeah. give someone infinite power uh, is not really that different from, say, a night at the opera or whatever it's called that is, you know, one's Wagner, the other's Grant. They're both mm -hmm. incredibly goofy stories. Yes. You know, um, and so there's kind of this thing of like, uh, it, I think for uh, the one thing that I think is different between Wagner and Grant is, is I do feel that the, for example, the story of the, the gods is in, in its way, not unlike, you know, dread, the, the annual of like dread arresting the, the devil and throwing him in the, in the cell mm -hmm. block, in the ISO cube, you know, mm -hmm. but the difference is it doesn't feel significantly um, it feels like it could have, like one could have come out just within two weeks of the other. Whereas I do feel like by the time you get to something like a night at the circus or a night at the opera, um, uh, Wagner is is telling that story differently than he would have four or five years earlier. Yes, yes, exactly, yes. So... If nothing else, it's very easy for me to feel like, like once you said like, oh, these are, these are different stories. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. That's why I bet this story was this person and this story was that person. And in some cases I'm wrong. And in other, like strange, do you know who wrote strange customs? Um, that really weird one where it's, uh, I, uh, I'm going to have to look up again because some of them uh, are really annoyingly the credit box isn't there. No, I know, which drives me up a wall. And weirdly enough, this is the first uh, Case Files volume where they didn't have a, an ending bio section, at least in the PDF that I'm looking at. Maybe, maybe yeah, the other no, it's, version it's, did. Uh, it ends really suddenly. This yeah. one, it's like, here's a pinup, you're done. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, this was supposed to go on for another 70 pages and then we changed our mind. Yeah, that is one of the ones that doesn't have a credit box, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. And um, it's... I, I, I honestly assumed it was Grant. Right. Uh, just because it feels like it falls into the formula of something ridiculous and it then ends on a punchline. Right. But that's that's literally a guess. Yeah, I, I, I would be curious just because in a way, maybe it is. Maybe it is, Grant. It's funny because it does feel um, the jokes are a little darker, queasier. Because the first half of the story is Dread cracking down on this guy and being like, you know, you're clearly smuggling something and they're like, okay, it's not. And then they start cutting them open and they find all these different, he's extra literally, <laughs> yeah, all these extra organs. And so the only reason why I really was curious is that story in particular just swings, like swings around like a whipsaw in its first seven pages. It literally opens with dread, like, slapping a, a pulling yanking a fur wrap off this woman's shoulders to sh prove that it's alive and then the the next stage is you know um essentially this guy saying no i've got my rights 
And they're saying like, you're in Mega City One now. We say what rights you have, you know. Mm-hmm. So I mean, again, there's a weird way in which I'm like, yeah, I guess that could be Grant because you know Grant had been pushing for the dreads a bastard, you know, much more strongly, you know, and the judges are complete shits. But it's, I don't know. It's a, it's a. What's What's funny is like I'm literally like analyzing it now as you're talking. I'm like, yeah, but the captions seem much more like Wagner. I thought so too. I think it's a Wagner story. But isn't it crazy that it's kind of like, it's sort of fun in a way to be like, no, no, this isn't Lennon. This is clearly McCartney. No, yeah, no, no exactly. No. Yeah. So it is very funny that you're like, okay, the captions, but at the same time, like the punchline. Uh, who is like what is it? It is funny that you you really do start right nitpick. Yeah. Yeah. You start picking apart and you're like, well, it's not uh, Grant usually has a stronger punchline at the end of his stories. Like that one with the saber tooth cat, which I thought tiger tiger, which I thought was absolutely. I'm like, eh, whatever. But then it gets to the punchline, which is like dread being like, and you owe me 500 credits as he's holding up the, the, the cat collar with the reward thing on it. I thought that was hilarious. So but, really? Uh, I, I thought that story was terrible. It's funny. The, the, no, uh, that story is terrible, but that punchline was funny, I thought. So, shows you why. Uh, but it's, it's, I feel that the stories that fail, that fail is, fails far too strong. The stories that underwhelm uh-huh. um, are, are, are more underwhelming, if that yes. makes sense. Yes. No, absolutely. In contrast of, of everything else. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. 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 The stuff that, that fails. And I think to be fair to Grant, like um, I I really did not like Tiger Tiger, which I did not think had a particularly, you know, like I said, I like the punchline, but the rest of the story I thought was terrible. Hottie You, I don't even think has a good, well, I guess it's an okay punchline, but it's also similarly, I'm like. Yeah, but uh, that's, that's Wagner. Hottie You is Wagner. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is this with respect you know? to Grant, like Wagner also has some stinkers in here. And there's no, there's... They, no they really do. Yeah. It, it's, and, and part of it is, and I'm wondering how you feel about this as well. Did this appointments for me here? Almost all the comedy ones. Yeah. Oh, you know, uh, and there, there's some good comedy. Like you said, the yeah. circus and opera, you know, two parter or like duets, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I think are fun. Yeah. PJ maybe for the most part is a comedy story about a psychopath. Right, but I like the PJ Maybe stories a yeah. bunch. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I really like about it is the Summer Holidays one. I love the PJ Maybe, and this, is, this maybe says far too much about me as a teenager. I love that he is completely into a girl who is not interested in him. Yes, they're yeah. like he's this genius. Yeah, who nonetheless is like, yeah, but there's this girl and she's just fucking great. No, I love that I, part. And, and yeah. like she, she could not give a shit about him. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. until he becomes rich, which mm-hmm. is again incredibly cynical. You know, I, and Twister, like I said, I, I like Twister a bunch, and Twister is essentially just a comedy story. Yeah. But for the most part, the disappointments for me were the comedy stories. I, I, I was like, I want to get back to the other one. No, totally. And so, in a in a weird way, Volume Twelve really felt like adventures and delayed gratification here. Because, yeah, I found myself being like, eh, we've been here before. Eh. Like, usually there's some extra new wrinkle, whether it's like the art or some attempt in trying to write the narration differently. But like, you know, for example, let's talk about uh, or not like the sage kind of fits perfectly into that. Right. For me, it's like it's a one part story. It's mm-hmm. got beautiful Glenn Fabry art. 
I thought, yes. you know, which just knocked me off my feet. But no, the the the, the, the Fabry art on that and the Fabry art on the the God story, which again I don't like the God story at all, but that story looks so good. Oh, it really does. It and that was this this was one of the revelations of the volume for me because Fabry I know largely from his uh, large run his run on the preacher covers, you know, and getting a lot of acclaim for those. Um, and they were fine for what they were, but looking at this shit, I was like, oh my god, it's just like beautiful like just such a yes. great synthesis of a bunch of different influences in a way that looks super super um uh, holistic at the same time really yeah. fully formed and wonderful but the sage is basically uh kenny who retold as a zen cohen you know yes. yes and so part of me is like well yeah i guess that's great if you didn't read Kenny who I mean and again in that way part of me was um you know it's apparently Wagner and Grant I it feels like just a Wagner to me uh, oh really just like a Grant to me oh really that's funny uh, and and particularly because I feel that Grant in his other writings mm -hmm. has shown himself much more of a fan of using um how do I put this eastern spiritualism mm-hmm as uh, both inspiration and punchline. Right, right. Which it literally is in this one. So, I mean, I, I, I actually, it made sense. It, I will take your word for it. I, I did think. I that mean, it, I, again, who, who knows, right? It was well constructed, but it also didn't really feel like anything new, you know? And I think. Although it, I do like, there, there's one moment in there I like a lot. Uh -huh. which is the uh, judge shaving his hair off and it cuts back to the students and the students are like that, like who would be such a barbarian? Yes. Like I like that just because it's like, of course they would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, I like the story. And again, the art is beautiful. I really like the storytelling, but it also does have, there's a lot of kind of the Bat Munker story, which beautiful art by Alan Davis kind of also feels like oh that's a story we've seen before you know kind of like the the rich super thief who tries to get one over it on dread kind of thing but you also know. a superhero parody right yeah but and while being a superhero parody exactly i i might be misremembering mm -hmm. i want to say that the batmugger story is an intentional nod to the fact that people kept trying to get a batman uh judge Dredd crossover going Mm -hmm. around this time with Alan Moore and uh, Brian Boland doing it. Oh, right. Exactly. Which eventually ended up becoming the killing joke when it didn't, when it more or less fell through. And, and you know, uh, Wagner and Grant did their own thing in like 92, 91 right. uh, with Simon Bisley. Simon Bisley, but, yeah. Yeah, but I think that this was done like as a nod to that. Mm -hmm. Like the excitement around it. Mm -hmm. But I could be misremembering. Because don't forget, around this time, like this, uh, Davis and Wagner do the uh, not Davis, Davis and um, Mark Farmer mm -hmm. do the artwork mm -hmm. for Batmucker. I, I think they were drawing Detective Comics. I time. thought they were as well for Mike W. Barr, right? So it yeah. feels it look it looks right, and it's it's again part of me is like it's a um, it's 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 a it's a it's a fun confection. But it's also a confection that we've filled up on a time. I mean, in a way, this really was the volume where 
maybe because the seams were showing. It opens with the Hitman, which really does give you such a punch. And then for the most part, a lot of that sort of sinks into the background and you get kind of a lot of what we've gotten before. Like, oh, here's yes. here's Dread in another mega city facing other judges. Oh, here's the judge gone bad. Here's mm-hmm. the, you know... Um, people in Mega City One keeping the the pet that they shouldn't, you know. Like I feel yeah. like you can, if I had been paying a much uh, enough attention, I could have really broken down all the various bits because it exactly here's where we've seen these before, yeah. and in some cases it's uh, I don't know if entertaining is the right way of putting it, but like I appreciate things like in uh, Our Man from Hondo as much as I think that's kind of just an overdrawn story and like i said has the racism that makes us horribly uncomfortable yeah um i like that it feels like wagner saw what happened to fans when they saw the bit where dread gets rested Nas, mm-hmm. and it's like what if i do that for real right like what if it's not a, a fake out what if dread actually gets arrested in a foreign country yeah yeah but there is there's so much repetition in here there's so much uh greatest hits and not even greatest hits just like things we have seen before because mm-hmm. you know who really wanted to see stanley again right <laughs> right you know nobody yeah nobody did yeah. um so <laughs> uh, but at the same time like you said it starts off with hitman and hitman is so good yeah and and honestly keeps the momentum going from oz so well to the point where i wish it had been in the previous volume oh yeah i think so you know yeah i wish that the previous volume had ended with hitman and not the end of oz yes because it's a perfect epilogue for oz and and a good closer on that volume and kind of a a bad uh opener on this volume because it sets up Sets up expectations that, right. that honestly the rest of the book doesn't live up to. Yeah. And there are highlights in this book. Oh yeah. Because like that line is is great. Mm-hmm. Um Full Mental Jacket is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what there is it's such an uneven volume and there is it, it you know, Wagner knows how to write right. And mm-hmm. Grant honestly knows how to write right. Oh, agreed. Wagner I think knows where he's going. He might not know how to get there. But he's he like you said is thinking about long game more, right? And he's thinking about, well, what do I want to do if I'm planning for the long game, right? Oh, I want to have people think of Dread getting old. Yeah, I want to have the other judges think about that, right? And if that's happening, what are they going to do? They're going to try and replace him. Mm-hmm. So how are they going to replace him? Oh, I've already introduced clones of Dread. Well, what if the Justice Department keeps the clone of Dread and tries to train him up? Right. You know that's there. The seeds are all there. You get the running threads mm-hmm. through the book of dread is old dread is doubting the system dread is even questioning the system to citizens which is nuts mm. you know you get that in there and he's slowly sitting in even as you get you know like you said hardy you which is not a good story mm-hmm. even as you get uh, twister which again is is a comedy story is literally four episodes of wizard of oz jokes right and not even like jokes wizard of oz references yeah um but and, and grant isn't grant feels like he's finding his legs as a solo dread writer mm-hmm. and so for the most part honestly grant stories feel like the annuals the stuff that's in the restricted yeah. files yeah but we were like this is fine but it's not really dread right 
No? Or or even like it's dread, but it doesn't feel um Yeah, there's just there's there's no It feels throwaway in the sense yes. of what we think of as the best of dread isn't mm-hmm. you know, like what we appreciate or at least what I appreciate about the complete case files is you start to realise that dread is cumulative. Mm. You know, where uh, I think it was the last the the previous volume where you have a, a year's worth of stories where Wagner and Grant are going, it is a fascist system. And what if the citizens realize that? And what if the citizens start to resent that? Mm-hmm. Like, what happens then? And they play a long game, right? Whereas in annuals, obviously, you can't do that. You have maybe two dread stories in an annual. Right. So you get much more like, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story, here's a story. And I think the Grant stories here have that rhythm. Have the they're all fine, mm-hmm. but they don't build. Right. No. Well, right. It's building. Wagner's building very slowly and very unevenly, and he's you know purposefully or not not going in a straight line. Mm-hmm. But there is a cumulative effect, as slow as it is. Right. I and, and I, Grant. I think I I agree with you, and I and I do think I feel like Grant. For me, it, it's there is a lot of. Wagner, I think, is interested in the idea of of going someplace with it, you know, if he I guess if he wants. And I do think that perhaps Oz was one of those points where he's like, no, I I do want to bring Chopper back. I'm not through talking about this character yet, which is kind of different from the way that Wagner and Grant were sort of used to operating, which is kind of. You know, you, you just Here, here's the story. We move on. Well, yeah, it's kind of like you bump off that character. If you've got more that you want to say, then you create another version of that character, you know, because Grant is kind of like, yeah, you just, you know, he's kind of live. He kind of is b- subscribing to that freelancer life and perhaps the more jaundiced view of it of like, yeah, you just tell your stories, you keep them entertained you know, you're eventually going to be put out to pasture, much much like Wagner and and you know is talking about with Dread, and it's like yeah, you you kind of do your thing, and then you're going to be shuffled off and and put it put out to pasture, and that's it. So, what's the point in building a quote unquote legacy? You know, and I do think that Wagner and Grant, in particular, like it's very common for them, both separately as we see here, but. You know that they, they, they like the element of surprise. So part sometimes that surprise is, boom! Here's a story in that is going to move forward the mythos in a big way. Here's a big mega prog, you know, and then boom! Here's five progs of of just really dumb, you know, sort of uh, Will Eisner meets Mad Magazine type skylarking and then boom here's a story that's just straight up about the fascism of the judges and then mm-hmm. boom here's a here's another simp story you know like yeah, yeah. they're so i they both like the element of surprise i think what I, is different is i definitely seems like grant is more interested in that in a very short-term way and Wagner is interested in it in a in a long-term way so that how do I put it his 
his way, his his longer arc and his drama happens kind of the way the drama happens to a lot of us, which is, you know, moments of incidents and then your life goes back to normal or whatever your new normal is. And then suddenly the incident is back and you're like, oh, shit, I thought this was done. You know, like, he, yeah, yeah. Something that escapes the traditional comic book superhero melodramatic progression of, you know, if someone farts in issue 52, people are the next room are going to be smelling it in issue 54, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, no, exactly. Like Dread is the one place that I think you can make an argument for that coming true in this volume that I think is artificial is the Spider-Woman story. Yes. Which honestly feels like. Will Simpson, the artist, fell behind on schedule. Yeah. And so the third part, which is honestly kind of throwaway, yes. happens significantly after the first two parts. Right. And and it feels like it should have happened immediately afterwards. Yeah. It's so odd. And it's also such a weird... Uh... Such a weird, like, ending. Yeah. It's because the first two parts, like you said, are Jeff Goldblum, the fly, slat, you know, it's, it's all Kafka-esque horror and the husband being like, well, you know, kind of this this uh another way in which essentially the you know kind of what you see going out throughout judge dread which is despite what everyone says the system has to perpetuate itself that's really you know ultimately the husband does love the wife but in the when she's like will you come with me and it's of course she can barely say anything he's like no it's really better i stay with the kids they'll take care of you and she gets just off and you're like so when she comes back and it's like, to me, there's never, there's never a, a, a sure sign that someone is on the verge of blowing a deadline, like an Edgar Allan Poe tribute, you know, like somebody's like, oh, oh. for me, the, the, the sign of the blown deadline is the, the fact that it ends with like continued soon. Right. Oh, we, oh, like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean like, for oh. the first two parts? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the end of the second part is like to be continued very soon. Yeah. And it's like, oh, Will Simpson fucked that deadline. Well, yeah, but then again, when it comes back, it's like, oh yeah. It's so yeah. Quote the Raven, so, never that, more. Like what? Yeah. And only on the last page. Yeah. It's like, okay, sure. Yeah. I guess what's up? Yeah, it's very, very, very strange. Yeah. I don't know. It is. It's of such an uneven book, but it's, but the highlights are are great. You know, the highlights are really, yeah. really, really good. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it is interesting that stuff like PJ Maybe and The Hitman and even Our Man and Hondo, there's stuff that moves the mythology and the world building uh, in forward in significant ways. Like this is not a mm -hmm. uh, this is not a. Throw, not a totally disposable it's, it, volume. Yeah, it's it's not a throwaway book at all. Yeah, it's that we are like our standards are really high for Trey. Yes, and, and so you get the point where something like this, where I mean, honestly, half the book is really good, right? But you're still like only half the book was really good, right? Well, and even the, some of the stuff that I do think is good is good in ways that aren't necessarily new, and which, again, it's year. 12 like that it's remarkable that it's all as good as it is and so much of it is as good as it is but at the same time you also find yourself being like for whatever reason in part because i think that if it had opened if this volume you're right if this volume had opened with simp about the house it would have had a very different feel to it 
uh, my expectations from the Hitman. Yeah, I feel that I think would have been truer to the rest of the book. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was. It was hard when I was like, God, what's going to be my favorite story if I can't pick the Hitman? Because the Hitman is the first story in the volume, and therefore it just sounds like I didn't read the rest of it. You know? So it's like... I feel I've been I hope I haven't led us on too meandering a path through this volume. It's because it's so many small self-contained bits. It is a little hard to like um to kind of be pre- be precise for it, at least for me. It well that's the problem. Like the other ones as we said have had a through line. Mm-hmm. You know, this volume is about this intentionally or not. You know, right. this is where Wagner and Grant's heads are at. Yeah, and the theme of this overall is Wagner and Grant are both being like, "Oh shit, okay, dread. Um, okay, what are we gonna do?" Mm-hmm. And like I said, I think Wagner knows, mm-hmm. or at least has an idea. Yeah, and Grant doesn't, or isn't on the same page, or or just wants to write more throwaway stuff mm-hmm. in. The- wake of the, the big story that they've just finished. Right. So you get this incredibly uneven uh, volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there are threads that follow, like I said, Dread being old. Mm-hmm. Dread being seen as being old. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that Dread will not last forever, which is ironic. Like, we're reading stories from, like, 1989. Yes. And we are in 2020, and Dread is still the lead character in a strip that has happened in real time. Right. You yeah. know, like 30 years later, Dredd is still a judge. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is hilarious when to read, you know, 30 years ago, stories about, like, Dredd will not last forever. Although, in this, Dredd gets a new gut in Hitman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it makes a point in Twister of pointing out that Dredd's eyes are cybernetic. Right. And it's like, oh, that's right. Dredd is, like, Dredd is a new man because literally almost everything has been replaced by this point. Yes, like yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You can still operate because you just keep swapping shit out. Right. Those those recurring themes are just recurring themes. It's not what the volume's about because the volume doesn't have a thing that it's about. Yeah, I I I would say that is true. Other than, uh, it I I don't think I could prove the case, but I think it's it's possible to say that the volume is about chaos. Like, if you want to be super sweeping, here you've got Wagner and Grant have been in a partnership for a very long time, working very closely as a team of writers, which is not a very common situation in comics. Like, uh, and so, and they essentially more or less split up, but are working, you know, still sort of side by side. They're in the same pages of the same books and things. And so maybe it's not sort of the same way that Dredd walks out of Hitman and he sort of alternates between being like an even tougher son of a bitch than before and being like, uh, like you said, starting to have some doubts or starting to feel his age and starting to be aware that maybe things aren't as easy or as simple as he thought that they were easy to break down, you know, and you've got two people who have, you know, more or less broken up. And so they're, they are going through the stages of like, Hey, everything's great. Look at all this comedy, waka waka, you know? And yet all of most of the majority of that comedy is 
you know, really dark in some ways. And a lot of it really is um, just about just about chaos, you know, is mm -hmm. about it, what I think what I was very clumsily stumbling around earlier is, is that that comic book mental illness isn't about mental illness at all, but it is about a form of chaos and quote unquote irrationality that that can't be handled it can only be reacted to i suppose yeah. yeah and there is there is a lot of that here in a lot of ways um and and i think generally it's kind of um so it's a transition volume, but like I said, it's it's possible to say that you could say that it's really, if it is about anything, it is about that, and it's a, it's a more but it, frustrating but is it experience. Intentionally about that, I don't. Or know. is it accidentally about that? Do you no, know what I mean? right, right, exactly. I don't. I think I would say that it is accidentally about that. You know, like I don't necessarily think that it's sort of. I think it's like this is. Again, there's a weird way in which doing a weekly strip is uh, is an adventure. In... Yeah, it's it's it almost becomes automatic writing. Exactly. It almost becomes like, well, we just have to hit the deadlines. What's this about? It's about hitting the deadlines, right? So, I mean, in in a way, if you think about it, Wagner is if Wagner is talking about dread being replaced, he himself, it seems to me, is thinking about how he's going to be replaced, you know, like he and Grant have done judge dread for a long time, but I'm sure they don't think that it's going, the strip is going to die with them, you know, like they're going to leave in 2000 AD is going to stop publishing dread, you know? And so to me, bloodlines is very much a great little piece in advancing sort of that dread, meta concept of you know yeah dread is a clone and what does that mean that he's a clone that's getting older when they've got another clone of him uh and similarly you've got wagner being like okay i you know have quote unquote given myself in service to this character what does it mean you know like in a way his longer meta story is uh, the idea of telling a longer story about dread or being able to have threads up his sleeve so that he can always be, well, what about this? What if I come back and tell about this? Or I have a thing to pitch about this because I've got something that's here is a, is a way of him um, sort of guaranteeing a future for himself, maybe in a way that the more fatalistic grant is like, I'm just dancing as fast as I can. You yeah, know, yeah. you, you yeah. just you just take the money and run because, you know, if you know, you got to get it before they get you because you always get got, you know. So I, I so so yeah. I want to ask about Bloodline. Yes. Bloodline obviously spins out of ideas in Oz, but takes them in very different directions. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the idea of Dread essentially them basically having a backup Dread? Well, so. Here's what I don't understand is they make it sound like and it, Bloodline is a story for one thing. One of the things, because it's before it goes 
full color. They have the beautiful painted Will Simpson art in in the mm-hmm. color splashes. Yeah. And then I think a much more disappointing conventional art style for the black and white pages. And so the whole thing kind of feels a like a bit of a of a mush to begin mm-hmm. with. But mm-hmm. part of me is like Dread is already a clone of uh I was Fargo. say Rico Fargo. Thank you. You know, I don't understand why they wouldn't assume like I always just kind of assumed there is another dread backup. The idea that suddenly this Judah clone is a better clone or you know what I mean? Like it just kind of confused me. I'm sort of like I once you say perhaps because I've been trained in clonology since it's such a popular concept uh, since when this was sort of first introduced, where I think it was a little more novel, there's kind of this feeling of like, I mean, you know, you're like, why don't they just clone dread? Why don't they have, why don't they just have, if he's clearly the best lawman ever, why don't they have 15 dreads on the street? You know, why, why don't they like, why don't the judges look at that and be like, well, this guy's the best guy that we've got. And there's the whole like, oh, here's the judge Fargo you know, who's the best judge we ever had. Like, why don't we just crank out like 19 of these sons of bitches? You know, why do we have to have them all be individual, unique guys? Like, and so the idea that the Judah, the Judah version of dread is like, Oh, we got to keep this guy in our pocket and train him because nobody lives forever. Like I, I resonate. It resonated to me in the story of like, like you said, Dread is getting older and there's a part where he talks about his back bugging him and how he doesn't want to say anything to anyone about it that I think is great. And thinking of Wagner and Grant, who aren't going to be young men by this point, you know, or aren't going to be thinking of themselves as young men, certainly, um, you know, all that stuff resonated with me thematically, but between mm-hmm. the uneven art and also just this one edge of the mythos that I realize I don't look too closely at because in a way it doesn't make sense. Like it makes sense in a mythic. It's a, it's an updating of the traditional, um, you know, like star Wars and the Jedi Knight and that concept of like the purest hero is descended from, you know, the kingly bloodline, you know, but, but in the sense of it really being like, Oh, they're going to, they're, you know, what, don't they already have a clone of him? So, in other words, I'm I'm very small-brained and literal-minded, Graham. So I don't. It didn't work as well for me. See, I, it's one of my favorite stories in this volume. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for uh, a number of small reasons, for want of a better way of putting it. Sure. I really like the idea, the the scientifically improbable idea, shall we say. That there is something genetic about Dredd's love of the city. Mm. Mm. You know, the, the Kraken gets out. Right. And gets into Mega City 1 and it's like, this is what I'm meant to do. Right. The, right. This, this, this is who I am. To the point where it even kind of overrules his Judda brainwashing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's something about that I love. I love, like you said, the um, thoughtfulness of Dredd getting older. Yeah, and being, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone about my back. But then also being like, I should check whether Fargo had a bad back. Yes, right. 
you know, there's something I really like about that. It underscores again, Dread is a clone. Right. Dread isn't the original at all. Right. And so even when you see that the the Justice Department is going, well, we've got to replace Dread, like even that is, they're almost right to be so cynical about it. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got to replace the latest model. It fits. I, I like that it really dehumanizes Dread in a weird way. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something about that that I find very appealing as well, to be perfectly honest. Part of it is also I know where the story goes. Mm-hmm. Like, Kraken does not go away. Right. You know, I think that's kind of obvious. Yeah. Um, but Kraken goes on to play a pretty big role uh, mm-hmm. for the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something really great about personifying the idea that Dread is, is passy cell by date as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, that comes with this. Well, uh, what I like about it, and this is the part where I think the clonage is great, is the weird. He has a sell by date, but he doesn't. And in that sense, I think that there that is the that's that's the comic book character fate. You know what I mean? There's there's dread is is viable, but there's a point where he's not going to be viable and they'll swap him in with someone else, but it's essentially going to be quote unquote him. You know what I mean? Like it, to me, it's very much that, that idea of a, a work for hire, a created character or a character that doesn't, that is owned by a corporation just will outlive all of us. But with the sort of, with a much more poignant undercurrent. What I like what I like most about Bloodlines is that Dread is very vulnerable in the story and by the end of it he's complicit. I think that's the best part about the end of the story is them being like, you know what, Dread's a realist. He knows he's not going to live forever. You know, Dread's basically and, 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 and he does. Yeah. Like he he meets Kraken. Kraken's outright says to him, I am the future. And Dread's like, mm, yep. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that moment is is fabulous because it's such a moment of of vulnerability for Dread, and it's very much the idea that here's this character, which of course has grown into such huge importance, and and you see him, he's just one smaller piece in this cog, and even more poignantly knows knows it, which is a true kind of you know, midlife crisis breakthrough, I think, you know, it's that I, I, I like that, but maybe there was something that weirdly enough, and it's not like I've read a lot of later dread, but I was just kind of like, yeah, sure. Okay. I mean, other than part of me is like, but why don't they have 15 judge dreads on the street already? You know, I mean, there's even that weird part. There's a line where we talk about this, where like right after he's like, oh, I should look and see if Fargo has a bad back. And then he more or less says, like, not no two clones are exactly identical, you know, Mm -hmm. which is weird. There is a little bit of the free will concept of like, he's Joe. He's not Rico. Neither of them are Fargo and neither of them are the Kraken. And, you know, quote unquote, and yet. You know, there's they they are the same. And I, I think there's part of me that's like, sure, if Graham, if it had been a six part 
a six-part moody prog. No one else would have liked it but me, but I would have loved it. But as it was, I was just kind of like, yeah, I wish they painted the whole thing. I know <laughs> uh, Simpsons painted art is is better than his line work. I, yeah. I think that's that's. I don't think that's a controversial thing to say. And also, Simpsons painted art in this is is lovely. Oh yeah, I mean that stuff. That in Curses of Spider Woman, it's very uh, Sienkiewicz feeling for me. In yes, it, and it, it, it is. It's wonderfully atmospheric, yeah. and, and it's funny. Uh, Simpson goes on to paint all of uh, Dave Gibbons' reboot of Rogue Trooper, mm. and there, I think, what works for him on Dread, which mm-hmm. is kind of a blurriness, yes, uh, and and a sort of like impressionistic element, yeah, like just muddies the shit out of his Rogue Trooper. It's, print, it's print a book. Bad idea to put. Oh, so he, sorry. Dave Gibbons is writing, not doing the art, and yes, Simpson's yes. doing the art. D- yeah, D- Dave Gibbons is writing, and then uh, Simpson does a pencil thing, mm-hmm. and it's just nope, nope. That that's not a good th- uh, mix at all. But um, I really I like the Kraken idea a lot. I think I could be wrong. I think there are two things to bear in mind about why don't they have a million dreads? One, I I think it said during Oz. That basically they discontinued cloning because the, of the ideological split that led to the Jedi happening in the first place. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes and sense. And two, uh, Rico turned out really bad, don't forget. Yes. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Rico had to be sent to Titan. Right. So their success rate on cloning Fargo is literally 50-50. Right. Um, to, this is a spoiler, but it's a spoiler so far ahead that it really doesn't count. Mm-hmm. These days in Dread, there are at least three clones of, of Fargo slash Dread running around. Wow. Um, and they're just, like, judges. <laughs> right. Like, they're, they're I mean, they're good judges, but they're mm-hmm. also nothing special. They're not Dread. Right. I, you know, I actually, I, I realize part of the problem here, Graham, is um, I played a lot of Metal Gear Solid before reading Dread, even though it be- comes after. And Metal Gear Solid is all about clone soldiers um dealing with not only their own mortality but their the their betrayal by the government and that idea of bloodlines and the good brother and the bad the good clone and the bad clone and the the uber clone that 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 helps create this other society so i'm just realizing part of me is like oh maybe part of why i'm being so blasé is Rather, if I had encountered it here the first time, I think I'd be like, "Oh, holy shit!" But yeah, you're like, you're like, I have a very, I have a very specific idea of what you can do with clones in a scientific context. Right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks to Hideo Kojima's like absurdly, insanely over the top approach to some of the same material. I think I'm a little inured to it, but yeah, yeah. But I agree. It is there. That stuff is great. It's also, I mean, Bloodline is really only, what, 14 pages out of, you know, 300? So it really is kind of tough in a way to be like, it's it's just, you know, you got to grab onto what you can. So I assume that Bloodline and Hitman would be like your favorite if you had to yeah, pick three, yeah, my, what my, would be your third? Uh, Bloodman, uh, Hitman, and probably Full Mental Jacket, to be honest. Oh, interesting. I, I, that or Twister. Full Mental Jacket because the end is great. Mm-hmm. I love that it is, honestly, like a really kind of throwaway story until you get to that part in the, I think it's the third chapter, where the character basically is like, why doesn't my mom love me? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I just didn't see coming and, and 
was like a punch. It really was. Mm. And then to go from that to the mother ends up killing him. Mm-hmm. And, and basically kills him because, you know, the city's broken. <laughs> like, he, he he got broken by the city and then he fucked up my other son. Right. He had to die. Right. It's dark as shit. Oh, yeah. And, and like, really does turn it really, really dark. Yeah. So those – that are, um, like I said, Twister because, honestly, Dreads – it's really that bit in the, the first episode where Dread is just like, I fucking hate this guy. I – yes. Like, I love that. I yeah. love that so much of all the humanizing elements for Dread in this volume. Dread's clear just dislike yes. of Jug. I love – and also, honestly, Jug's just a great character. He is. Yeah. Like Jug showing up and just being like, yep, I'm here to advertise my beer. It's not cheap. <laughs> it's it's yes. just fun. Yeah. No, he's great. One of the things I really do like about him is that there is a – and it's the same thing that came through with Oz is he's a, he's a reprehensible human being, but that doesn't mean that he's not the best at what he does, you know? Yeah. and. And even in this volume, they have it where he's like, he literally says, makes some sort of joke about how much they're paying him. And then he jumps into action and he literally surfs the twister, you know, and it's I I do appreciate how much they sort of do with him. Part of what makes him uh, makes him an enjoyable character is that he's an ass. um, But a it doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad person and it doesn't mean that he's bad at what he does, which tends to be sort of the, you know, the undercurrent of the, of a lot of narratives, you know, is kind of like, yeah. Oh, cause he's a cheater. Right. It's like, no, he's, he's good. Yeah. He's, you know? he's actually just that good. He's yeah. just that good. And there, and, and the fact that the dread reacts to that with something like jealousy is kind of great. It's kind of great. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 Jug is just, and I don't like. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think Jug shows up again after this. Yeah, I think Jug just fucks off into the into the chopper strip. Really? Oh, that's uh, which is kind of a shame because Jug like Dreads just like for Jug is great. Yeah. I really, really like it. Like of all the characters, Jug is the one that gets under his skin. Well, and it would be also very fun in a way to have him be sort of the comical version of chopper in the sense of he's the guy who always gets away the fact that he more or less gets away at the end of twister and they're like sorry we can't we can't bust him like that's just totally gonna fuck up our trade talks and and dread's like uh who says all fairy tales don't have a happy ending you know yeah, um, I do like how, as well because just talking about the end of that, I do like the dread ends up like in hospital twice in this volume. Yes, I do see him with like various things around his head so that they don't have to show his face, which is great. <laughs> I, think, I think that's really funny. Yeah, Both yeah, 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 yeah. Fight fucking bandaged up, and then somebody like, no, we've got high tech device. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, Twister's great. Yeah, yeah. No, I like Twister a lot in part because I think you had told me several volumes ago, like, oh yeah, when they switch to full volume and they do it in the middle of the Wizard of Oz spoof, um, I had completely forgotten that. And so in that first part where the Twister comes, I had only twigged to the whole, oh, like that the other guys really were the various Wizard of Oz characters. Yeah. Like I thought yeah. that, like I just figured it out. And then for it to really kick into high gear, I'm like, oh, this is delightful. And the switch into color 
where Dredd literally, when confronted with the whole thing, says something amazingly great, which is something along the lines of, what the hell, I've gone with it this far, which I just think is great. That resignation was just uh, wonderful. I, I think my three favorites, like the Hitman is amazing. We haven't, we've talked, we just keep talking about how Yeah, we, we talked about like around Hitman as yeah. opposed to talking about it. Yeah. Like we've not actually done many plot synopsis for these stories, maybe because there's so many. Um, Hitman is very basically is Dread comes back from Australia uh, and is is almost killed. There's an explosion that almost kills him, and it turns out it's a hitman who had thought that Chopper would be there and was trying to kill Chopper, yeah. and then becomes obsessed with the idea that he almost killed Dredd, so now he has to kill Dredd. Yes, and uh, again, in this weird way, the hitman is also... Um, he's he's not like our traditional hitman. He is the the you know in the sense of someone's paying him. He is a insane hobbyist essentially. This is what he does for fun, and in that way, he is once again a sign of a sort of random, a, 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 an incarnation of chaos. And it is what's wonderful is again Jim. Baki's work, who I had always been coolish on until Oz, follows it up with some dynamic panel by panel. The mm-hmm. in part two, there's a sequence. Dread recovers from the bomb. He basically gets protected and doesn't die. And so the hitman's like, I'll have to try it again. And the opening sequence of uh of the second part, the first two pages is 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 dread getting on his motorcycle and being shot three times like right through the chest from a long distance sniper rifle and the storytelling in it is exquisite the mm-hmm. way that that baki has dreads just just the like if you sit down and you do your little frank Tentor, santoro style ms paint of the 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 Diagonal lines the, of yeah, tension the, the on the lines, page. Yeah. The through lines of that page are great. Fucking fantastic. Yeah. So, and then Dread, you know, manages to more or less live. And then he's in the hospital with the mask off and his, cause he's cracked out, he's cracked his skull. Um, so he doesn't have his helmet on, but you can't see his face and people are showing up trying to comfort him. And he's kind of having a dark night of the soul. And meanwhile, I, this I, hitman's going to really get him. I appreciate that. Yeah. I really appreciate Dread in hospital gives him the space to basically be sad, if that yeah. makes sense. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and and in a really great way in that he is more worried about his moral failings than his life. But in a way that you might, if you think you're going to, you know, your life's at an end or not, depending if how what you think of Dread. I also want to say that one of the things that's fabulous about the Hitman is in that first section, it's so expertly told by, you know, again, I assumed it was just Wagner, but it says Wagner and Grant, let's take him at the word. It literally jumps back and forth, like the intercutting backwards and forwards in time is wonderful in that because it alternates between the incident that is happening and the hitman talking about it to his therapist, which you only find out at the end. You just see his big old fish lips talking about it in close up and it's it's wonderfully disorienting. Like it's a really great dramatic um you know, 
just 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 wonderfully wrought you know so that whole that whole thing and then the the conclusion of it is is fabulous too it's just it's a and, three-part and it's prog, tense, which, which is yes which is great mm-hmm. because the conclusion is the hitman realizes that he'll just have to go and kill dread in person yes and so while dread is in hospital he dresses up as a judge and gets to dread yes like actually makes it there makes it pass everything that should have stood in his way yep um which is great which is a really nice nice way of of dealing with it yeah and you know there is a weird way in which i could see how someone um for for us saying like yeah it just feels like a mishmash and it doesn't feel cohesive i do think that maybe the editors who put this volume together one of the smart things about opening with the hitman and closing with crazy barry little mo is um the barry the judge is talking to Mo, this demon inside his head. And at various points, he's talking to him and literally saying things like, what's that, Mo? No, you can't talk me out of this. I have to do that. And that's literally what the hitman is doing in the last chapter. He sneaks in and gets close to Dread, but the whole time he's thinking, he's he's engaged in a conversation with the therapist that, he, that we've seen him kill in part two. And so... There, it, there's sort of a similar form of, again, evil chaos for for yeah. for lack of a better term. So I do like that, but but of course the, the, the other the other thing we should say is the the ending of the story is just great. Oh, it's which so is good. Dread shoots the hitman because Dread has been so paranoid he's kept his gun yeah. under his covers in the bed the entire time. Yeah, yeah, because he's someone's trying to kill me. <laughs> yes. Which is great. Yes. No. And and one of the things that I I do love is um, before before the hitman comes and visits him, there's a conversation between Hershey and Dredd. And let's see if I can find it, because I think it's just so good where she shows up and says something like um, she's like, well, you're off the hook. And he's like, until the next nut comes along. And she's like, well, occupational hazard joke. Because they thought they, they think they've tracked him down. So at the end, he, you know, the hitman shows up, almost kills Dredd. But, ju- you know, Dredd's got the gun under his under his uh, bedding. And and it's great. Hershey's like, well, like I said, you're off the hook. And Dredd's like, yeah, like I said, until the next time. Which is just a great it's such a great way of getting the last word in, you know, because he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm trapped in this cycle. And I think there is a little bit of that, that, that part of what, what dread is questioning about himself is, is he's literally questioning everything, including this idea of like, he's just trapped in this cycle of violence. And it's something that he hasn't minded because as we've seen in previous volumes, when he's under hypnosis and other things, he's, liked it in the past but well i mean you even get that in this in the in the bloodline story where you get his narration when he's riding around the city Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know he loves it he loves his job yeah he does it's what makes him feel alive yeah exactly but i think he is also aware that it means um you know he's not going to come to a good end you know and that is that thing like his his you know, she's like, well, you're everything's great. He's like, yeah, until until next time. And I do. I think I think the hitman is so perfectly crafted 
that's, you know, like they should have just run it out of order and did it at the end. It would have made no sense because it's immediately after Oz. Yeah, exactly. You would have been like, but what? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's so hard to top. So for me. It it is. So it's it's your favorite? uh, Yes. I'm going to pick three because I think it's, I think that's, otherwise it's just too crazy. Um, Hitman is definitely the, the, the top of the top. Uh, I I really like the Night at the Circus, sort of the Night at the Circus, the Night of the Opera. If you view it as as two pieces, um, my Twitter handle is malodorous sweat glands. I don't know if you noticed that or not, but I picked that up. <laughs> um, but I think I like a Night of the Circus uh, just a little bit more. And then um, I honestly really did like. I don't know. There's a lot of, like you said, high points and low points, but Crazy Berry Little Mo, even though it's just sort of your standard judge goes bad story, I like maybe because it's so much closer to something out of Jim Thompson. Um, I just, I just like it more. It's a little, like you said, it's, it's closer to a traditional bad cop story. And I think one of the things that is, that I really like about it is how much, um, how much dread knows that there's something off about the character about that guy, but honestly, it's it, the the judges have more or less kind of fallen so much since the first volume that it's almost impossible to tell. That no one else can really tell. Like, and again, under the investigative, you know, in quotation yeah. marks, I guess. Basically, because Dread knocks them into it. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, Dread, there's nothing there. Yeah. He's fine. He's fine. You know. And at the same time, and and one of the things that is also pretty great is is when Barry and Mo are talking, and Mo's like, you know, that Judge Dread, like you got to kill him off. He's on to you. He's like, no, he's okay. He's a little old fashioned, but he's all right. I love that. I love yeah. that he he does. He outright says to him, he's like, you're yeah. old fashioned. Like yeah. we're we're the we're the new way of things, which is a wonderful capper to the dread is getting old thing yeah. as well. Right. Because it is the sense of like, is Mega City One getting so out of control that like this is the new way of things? Right. Right. Or is it just, you know, that classic like you know, I mean that as we are, like I think that, that when you're as you get older, you can't help but feel like you are some sort of weird um last set of values that are slowly disappearing off the planet and you you know like some of those things are good but a lot of them are bad you know and so yeah the the fact that that crazy barry is maybe closer to the real way of the future is uh is is a great implication for what's going to happen you know what's coming next for dread what's coming next for mega city one um, I just wish it kind of hadn't ended in the, you know, Barry and Mo will be back in Goldfinger, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. just like, what? That's, that's a recurring thing through this volume as yes. well, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, so-and-so will be back. And it's like, you're trying too hard yeah. or something. And you, I guess it's probably editorial or something like there, there's a weird, it's, it does seem really, it, it's it's odd to see it telegraphed because one of the things that's kind of fun about dread up until now is to me. And it's weird. I, it, it, it's like, I sort of envy you Graham from having read ahead and knowing more about dread 
you know, because it's you get the satisfying clunk and of of things popping into place or seeing where things seeing little things in uh you know utero and what they're gonna grow yeah, yeah, into. Yeah. But I really the Wagner and Grant seem to be really obsessed with you with the reader not knowing what's coming next of trying to keep people on their toes a little bit, if, if only because it gives them the leeway to do whatever the hell they want, um, that I really enjoy that. And so the whole like, oh, to be continued soon or not the end is I'm just like, guys, no, I don't need that. I'd be perfectly yeah. happy if the implication was we never saw PJ maybe again. Like that yeah. would be fine with me because then it will make his appearance, his reappearance is fun. Yes, because it is. It's sort of like when someone talks about the the tailor from the previous volume doing the taxidermy. I think PJ maybe is like, oh yeah, I know who he's talking about. How great that that character popped up again because it it feels like the world. It feels like the world in a big city where you don't know if you're going to bump into a familiar face when you turn the corner, but you might be able to, you know? Um, yeah. Also, I, I think, I think yeah. that adds to like the realism of the, the, yeah. the world of the city. Yeah. Sorry, on you go. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, cause your point is on point. The one thing I wanted to say before it, it, you know, we close up is uh, that sweet stuff, which is very much is a very disposable little piece that could have came from whenever ago. Um, I'm sure you caught the fact that uh, the the character it because it's the story of a of a sugar addict trying to score some sugar and then being caught by dread and doing his best to escape um, being caught and almost more or less gets away with it. The character's name is uh, Bill Billum Will Wuros, of course, instead of William Burroughs. And which I thought was a clever name, but I also had this thing of like, oh, I really do want to see a William Burroughs versus Dread, you know, where it's you get some sort of strange Dr. Benway style bug spray sniffer heroin eater, you know, because Burroughs, this <laughs> Burroughs is in a way is entirely about chaos and order is inherently fascistic and destructive and also you know for bros because because everything's weirdly erotic in his world seeing seeing a showdown between william s burroughs or william s burroughs analog and dread um rather than just sort of a one-off in joke would be i i think really great so you know hopefully someone listening to this will be like oh perfect i'm just about to start writing my next uh you know magazine exactly. I, arc yeah, I, I i've got to write a, a a short for the magazine for october guess it'll be the burrows one yeah exactly it's gonna be uh yeah mega city inner zone so <laughs> here's the thing i'm sure they must have done that by now oh right? absolutely Again, the character's been around for 43 years exactly someone would take the time to actually yeah really heavily spoof that but um yeah anyway just seems, just uh, seems did like you it. like did you like this volume uh it's not one of my faves it's got stuff in it that i liked it was sort of painless and when it hit the end i kind of had a wait that's it sort of like i want more of this thing so i would say overall yes but i would not rank it in like 
you know, we've read 13 volumes now. It definitely wouldn't crack the top five, and I'm not sure if it would crack the top ten. And you? It would probably crack my top ten. It wouldn't crack my top five. Mm-hmm. And it would crack the top ten on things like Bloodline on Hitman. Right. Part of it is, like you said, like I know what's coming. So Bloodline has an entirely different meaning for me. Right. You know, like Kraken sticks around and Kraken is important mm-hmm. for what's to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dread growing old stuff is important for what's to come. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you said, like seeing that stuff stumble into existence, and it is stumbling. Right. But that lends this some, some fun that I think you don't get. Right. You know? Right. But it's not a particularly great volume. It's not particularly great. And again, I think you put it very well when you said we're used to dealing with this stuff at a really high standard. It's not terrible. I would definitely read or reread this volume over a lot of other comics, but in terms of the standards set by early or Wagner and Grant dread comics, I'm like, eh, it's okay. You know, and, and it does have some high marks. It just, there's, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of vamping. There's a lot of dross. There's a lot of whatever it is. It, 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 things feel like in transition. I should also say as delightful as it is that they made the transition to full color. The color is weird in these volumes, in this volume, you know, when they switch to it, you do have guys, uh, like Will Simpson, who can do a lovely sort of painted wash. Some of the stuff, some of, but some of the other stuff, I think for me, because the color comics to my untrained eye seem to have more of a Euro comics coloring to it than an American comics coloring. It feels yeah, they're, they're, they're weird. The coloring, yes. Yeah. Some of the coloring, you can also see things where it's painted Yes, and things where it's being colored after the fact, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the the, and also things where it's somewhere in between, right? right? Mm-hmm. Where, for example, I would swear that the Twister stuff is like maybe in later chapters it's painted, but to begin with, it feels like it's being colored after the fact. Right. Like favorite stuff has been watercolored after the fact, right? Um, but you get you know Will Simpson who's just doing full washes. Yes, yeah. No, or or um, the really, really early Chris Weston work right. is clearly painting as well. Yeah, but off of – but with just – how do I put it? Again, with a stranger palette than what I'm used to. And so yeah. it's a palette that, like I said, I referred to it as garish at one point. And I feel like that's true of, of a lot of the color stuff here. It feels like thumbing through, you know, a heavy metal magazine that's heavy on the Euro – and and which means also that it's weirdly close to underground comics. Like some of the stories here felt closer to American underground comics than I feel like Dread has has come before. The other thing that's know? really funny is the second PG Maybe story. You mm-hmm. see Liam Sharp go, "What if I just try and draw like Mobius?" Yes, which I love. Yeah, I love that. Well, I think I I feel like there's a lot of Mobius influence here. Um, you know, even when Glenn Fabry isn't drawing in color, uh, some of his stuff I thought seemed very, very like Mobius in ways. Like, and, and it makes sense. It's a those guys. You know, it's 
it's it's your the, they have access to the European comics and it's a stronger influence there. But even just some of the like, there's points where I'm like, yeah, that looks more like Bilal than, and it's fine, but it also is a. Is it alien enough to you that just makes you go? Hmm. Well, you know, it's 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 alien enough for me that even though I think you know. By the time Ron Smith departed, he had been kind of bled dry, I think. Um, he He's still, there's still a certain uh, representation of dread that this departs from. Like every once in a while, I'll see something where I'm like, oh, like when, uh, when dread curls his lip. You know, um, or or even something in the simp where it's like, oh, that kind of looks like Steve Dillon or, oh, I can kind of see a little bit of Ron Smith in this, whoever the hell Vanyo is. But, you know, but for the most part, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily think of John Ridgway as a definitive dread artist. And he's got a lot of work in this volume in color, right? You know, and so... So in that sense, it's also kind of a strange volume for me to look at because it doesn't it it again, it feels closer to like the make it when I had my subscription to magazine, you know, four or five years ago than it does feeling like two years prior, which is to say complete case volume 10, you know? Yeah. You know, and I, I feel that. There was definitely a point, you know, maybe around four or five, where mm-hmm. you'd have Boland and and McMahon and right, like such iconic dread artwork. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. You know where, and also all of it was so confident, right? And honestly, there's a lot here which isn't. Yeah, right. Whether it's you know, through deadlines there, or there making a, that transition or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There is a point where. Uh, dread, especially as it heads into this painted era, mm-hmm. where he, honestly some of the art's terrible. Yeah, yeah. You I, know, and I feel like I feel like we're stumbling into that already. Well, because I feel like one of the things about color is, and I, and I feel like this is something that we've learned now in the current era of of uh, American color comics is. Color can cover up a lot of sins with a lot of splash and flash. Our man in Hondo is colored great, but Colin McNeil's um, visual storytelling is terrible in some points. Mm -hmm. Just Mm -hmm. flat out like, I can't tell what's happening here. Did that character die or... No, his leg's blown off, but no, he ran out of the room. No, he has lost his leg, but somehow he ran out of the room. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so yeah, there are bits and pieces. It's 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 a it, it's a rocky transition. But, you know, um I'm I am I'm curious as hell as to what volume 13 will bring in that sense. Volume 13 and volume 14. Volume 14 I think is mostly necropolis and therefore it's almost entirely painted carlos escara art wow okay all right uh which is as good as you think yeah uh i think there's a fair amount of uh in the next volume as well Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's some there's some uh interesting not quite ready for prime time art coming up i i bet i bet 
So, but yeah, that you you just answered a question I was going to ask to to wrap us up, which is, what are you expecting from the next few volumes? I, well, I don't know. I mean this this volume was just so like I said, pure all over chaos. I know what I'd like. I'd like to see stuff that's closer to um, the Hitman or even our man in Hondo, which you know, despite being problematic because of the racism and uh some of the visual storytelling is also um part of the larger world and is a great you know it's dread as spy story and one of the things that i like about dread is when it's not dread as police story is is one thing and they do it they always do it very well but when you get dread like you know, the the apocalypse war is amazing as um, dread as military comic, and our man and Hondo dread as almost a, a you know a cross between the Terminator and a Jean Le Carre um, story is is awesome. Um, I I would hope that we would see more dread. I mean. I know from reading Throw Power Overload that Dead Man should be coming up in a few, like, in a few years. So I kind of, part of me feels like Dread is going to take a fall. Um, yeah, but it's literally the space between 13 and 14. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's kind of what I would expect, but that's just halfway between Psychic Guesses and boy, do I really hope it's that. You know, um, I would love to see something that's a big mega prog that's closer to something like the Apocalypse War in a way, um, just because God damn, what an amazing story that was. But also because, you know, I loved Oz, but Oz is Chopper's story. And it's also a story that takes place outside Mega City One as well, you know, so you're going to be very happy very soon. Oh, OK. Excellent. 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 Well, I, I thank you, Graham. Thank you for leaving me with that little moment of hope. <laughs> uh, the net, So issue, uh, issue, volume 12 is this transitional mess. Mm-hmm. And I think even by 13, it's righted the ship considerably. Mm. And 14 is one of my favorite collections. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. That's great. Because with the reduced page count. Mm-hmm. 14 is essentially all one story. Oh, all right. I'm into it. Uh, it's not all one mega epic, mm-hmm. but it's all one storyline mm. that, that honestly starts in this volume. Mm-hmm. Oh. But it's, yeah, it, it's Wagner. And also it's it's pretty much Wagner's uh, farewell to the strip for a long time. Mm. Yeah, uh, I was or at least farewell to the strip the in, in 2018. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really good. Like it's a it's a, a uh, Oz Oz is a very good mega epic. I've, you know, I've talked for about how much I like it. But Oz is, as you said, Chopper's story, but also multiple storylines at once. Mm-hmm. It's not a story. It's like a twenty-six part titular adventure yeah. that is really three or four stories. Right. And the next one is one story that that takes place in Mega City One. Mm. and is, like I said, one thing. Oh, that's great. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's very good. Okay. 
Well, that's great, Graham. Thank you. I'm very excited to 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 dig into that. Um, now, when you say 13 and 14, you're not reading these like like you read that like two weeks ago or something, right? No, uh, 13 and 14, I read last year. Uh huh. Yeah, because I got um, I I bought them in print. Mm. Mm. Because they are like favorite things. 14, 14 is is like a, a, a mega epic I really like. Good to know. Say no more, Graham McMillan. I want to be surprised. Clearly know about Deadman. Ye- well, Which... yes, but only a little bit. And it, it's the curse of um, having read Throw Power oh, Overload, which on the yeah. one hand... Which was... honestly is a shame. Yeah. I wish you hadn't known. Yes. Because I would have just been like, Jeff, you have to read this before, like, you know, yeah, we do episode 15. Right, right. Yeah. Mm, 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 mm. Okay. Well, should, should we explain what Dead Man is to to uh, yes, yeah, because we're talking about it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, Dead Man is a strip that ran in parallel with the Judge Dredd strip for for a few weeks, and it was written by a guy called Keith Ripley and drawn by John Ridgway, and it was a Dread spinoff. Mm-hmm. And in the second last episode, they revealed that it's not a Dread spinoff; it's actually a Dread story. That it's happening in parallel with what you're reading at Dread at the time, and the Keith Ripley doesn't exist. It's John Wagner, mm. mm-hmm. and it's just a great little reveal. It's like a, I think it's an eight or nine part story, mm-hmm. and they're basically like, "Oh, we meant to tell you." <laughs> um, yeah, this is actually a Judge Dread story. Yeah, yeah, and this is this is tied in with what you're reading in Judge Dread right now. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Well, and the sad thing is, it's not collected in the complete case files, which oh, I honestly really? oh. yeah, think it should be. Right. Um, but yeah. it's not. It's just available as a, as the, a collection called The Dead Man. Right. Huh. Okay. Well, uh, that will be something like I'm reading. Yeah. Because, like I said, it's a it is a dread story. Right. To all intents and purposes, yeah. it's a dread story. Mm. Um, but it's not in there. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know, that's good to know to have more clarification on. But yeah, that's. Uh, Ah, my. Ah, me, ah, my, Graham. Uh, we should close it up. I know this is a little shorter than our usual uh, mega epic rock episodes, long. but yeah, it's it's long enough. This is where I say there's going to be show notes for this episode up on weightballpodcast.com on Monday at some time. I'm almost kind of vague with it, but it's in particular sometime this week because I'm otherwise not working on the Monday, so I don't know when I'm going to get around to the show notes. <laughs> People, you're just going to have to deal with this. I'm sorry. <laughs> Gonna happen. That happens. Okay. I I could pretend I'm gonna tell you time, but maybe I'll get distracted. Who can tell? Let's just say by the end of Monday it'll be up. Oh and let's God. just appreciate my honesty about this. <laughs> While you're waiting for that, uh waitwatpod.tumblr.com is our Tumblr. Uh Instagram.com forward slash waitwatpod is something I promised last time I was gonna update more than once a week. And did I update it this week? Nope. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. I really am. But at the same time, I honestly think like maybe only 14 people see it. So yeah. I sorry to those 14 people, I guess. Um, we also have a Twitter account at Wait Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at LazyBastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I am at Graham M. at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. Jeff, why don't you tell everyone about our Patreon? Yes. Hey, everyone. So, uh, as I mentioned at the usually this this time, this particular neck of the woods, 
Um, we are incredibly grateful to uh, everyone who tunes in and listens to us uh, more or less three weeks out of the month. Um, it manages to sort of keep us on track and motivated and um, tackling things and talking about things. And, uh, and we're super grateful to the people on Patreon who not only are listeners, but listeners who throw us a little bit of their hard earned dosh to keep us interested and excited and invested. Um, our previous podcast Baxter building, which was uh, 50 episodes long and read through the first volume of the fantastic four and Drock, our mighty read through of judge dread, the complete case files is a direct result of the support of our patrons. And we are in, Incredibly grateful to them. We should also give a special shout out to Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of this podcast. And I am entirely convinced the uh, celestial understructure of reality altogether. Thank you very much, Audrey. Although, honestly, looking at the year that's just passed, I, I think I think maybe, you know, if you want to put in a little more work, you know, things are kind of, you know, dripping around the edges there. But not that we're blaming you. I was going to say, really, that's where you want to go with this? Yeah, I'm apparently pass agging like the protector of the celestial realm. So because that's that's how I roll, Graham. That's that's definitely a choice. <laughs> let's, let's just say, yes, I guess that's what we're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> As Graham sort of sides I away from Jeff, I, I, yeah, I, I, just kind of yeah, like that's, uh, that's Jeff. Jeff's all. That's all Jeff's doing. Cosmic don't lightning right me. there. Don't, yeah, yeah. Don't don't fuck with me, okay? <laughs> Jeff, Jeff that's doing it, not me. <laughs> so true, so true. So we're going to be back next week with a wait what podcast? We're going to be back in a month with Drog. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and Jeff, yes, Cosmic, you sing us out. I definitely will. Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the Isocubes until the next episode of Drock. <laughs>